This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. Welcome back, everybody, to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's talk a little about markets. Things are moving here today, despite not having a lot of U.S. economic numbers this week thus far. Uh, we still have some very interesting moves in terms of volatility. We've got the oil market flying high. The dollar is red hot and gold is selling off, not to mention the indices, which are back to their fresh lows uh, as of several weeks uh, now of just selling. It's been very interesting to watch. Uh, joining me on the podcast, we have, of course, senior market analyst uh, Craig Erlum from Oanda. Hey, Craig, how you doing? Yeah, really good, mate. How are you? I'm good. And Craig, again, these moves, uh, despite not having a lot of uh, kind of fresh numbers, there are some very powerful market forces at play right now. And I know just before we spoke, uh, you know, before we started the podcast here, we were just talking about how a lot of this perhaps stems from some aftermath, uh, kind of delayed reactions from all that was said from Jerome Powell, uh, staying hawkish overall. And, uh, you know, this is off the back of some relatively strong U.S. economic figures relative to uh, other major uh, counterparts, you know, Europe and the U.K., uh, as well as that hawkish hold that we got. So, Craig, what do you think about all these moves? And is there any particular market that you're most keen on keeping an eye on this week? It's interesting, isn't it? Because we followed last week, which especially in that 48-hour period from Wednesday through Friday, it was so full on. There was central bank meeting after central bank meeting. There was so much to discuss because there was so many shifts that maybe people weren't fully anticipating. And then we move into this week and it's basically nothing to talk about. There's nothing new. So what we're left to do is watch the dust settle on what's happened and try and determine how markets are now positioned. Because we're ultimately now going into the final quarter of the year. So market positioning now is kind of maybe an indicator of what we can expect going into the end of 2023. And what I'm seeing is nerves, uh, which is not common. I always refer to investors, and we've said it before on this podcast, I always refer to investors as eternal optimists. I think they see the upside, they see the positive in anything. And I'm seeing a difference. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. So we we look at how they've behaved over the last couple of weeks, and we've seen some pretty big moves down. We've seen a Dow break in the 200-day simple moving average, which is a level that traders often watch, especially technical analysts. But when you look at the technical analysis, the momentum indicators suggest that this is not um, necessarily just a, a brief move below, that there's potentially some momentum behind this move. Uh, and that suggests to me that we could potentially be, uh, the, the, we may not have seen the worst of this, that maybe actually this is not just a case of markets correcting before moving higher, a bit of a period of uh, quiet while we wait for more data. But maybe there is actually something more behind this in terms of investors are nervous that they're worried that um, that we're seeing a potential recession coming in Europe, that we've seen a sluggish Chinese recovery and it's not going to get any better by the looks of things. But then the US, the one area where we were seeing resilience, the Fed speak recently kind of suggests that they think they're going to have to break the economy in order to get inflation back sustainably to target. That doesn't mean we're going to see a terrible recession. But just this idea of a soft landing, maybe they're saying, do you know what, we can't really achieve a soft landing and get inflation back to target. It's maybe that that's creating these jitters in the markets, which is creating these new dynamics going into the fourth quarter. As you say, as we kind of told about earlier, we need some good economic figures now. By good, I mean, we need to see inflation beating uh, figures. So lower CPI data, um, uh, particularly for 
for September and then the jobs report, etc., to kind of remind us that we're we're seeing progress. But also, if we can see better figures than we're expecting, then that gives the impression that the Fed is being too pessimistic. But there is a spanner in the works, and that's um, we could soon see a government shutdown. And does that mean that we're not going to get new economic figures? And if, if we're going to go weeks without any fresh economic updates, especially from things like jobs data, inflation data from the US, then... Do investors have anything to cling on to if they're looking more at that optimistic thing? And also, does the Fed have any fresh economic data to utilize when making its assessment on the next interest rate decision? So I think there's loads of interesting dynamics right now. But the one thing which I think is clear so far this week is that investors are more pessimistic than they were. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there in terms of the government shutdown stuff. I want to possibly come back to that, talk a little bit about that later on. But just first of all, to your points about, you know, kind of this dollar resiliency, the dollar is trading uh, the index, uh, DXY, trading 106.63 at the time of recording this. And that is just a fresh high uh, that has yet again, you know, this is fresh high after fresh high. Part of the reason here for that, as you mentioned, Craig, is, um, you know, there's some real actual fear in the markets. And one area that I find very interesting to make mention to is, you know, we don't talk about the commitment of traders data very often on the podcast, but this past week I had a look at it and it was pretty fascinating. Across the board, it seemed like a knockout win for risk off assets in terms of what large speculators, uh, their positioning movements were very oriented towards buying the dollar uh, on a net basis. Of course, you know, this is a this is a collective basket of um, hedge funds, you know, big money players. Uh, what they were doing was they very much moved into the dollar more heavily last week. Indices saw massive declines in terms of uh, you know sh- uh, futures contracts traded were very much uh, there was a big big move into risk off. So you know you're you're mentioning Craig that we've seen some some interesting price action that does not look um, characteristic of of kind of that eternal optimist. You know when you don't have any data, I, I've seen it too, right? A lot of times stock market will find on no data a reason to rally anyways. And yet, uh, you know, with that commitment of traders data, some of the bigger players seem to kind of be pulling the rug away, right? They're, they're more on the uh, the cautionary side uh, following kind of what Jerome Powell has said. So I think it's a very interesting time in markets. Again, we have oil pressures up quite substantially. U.S. oil, uh, you know, at the time of recording again, trading up in the 90s again, uh, solidly back to the previous high. In fact, actually taking them out uh, at the time of recording. And the oil market, as we we often mention it, it is a major uh, inflationary figure, even if it doesn't necessarily reflect immediately in the core CPI readings that we get. Uh, you know, inflationary pressures uh, from oil can trickle down into the core factors, right? If you have this major rise in the price of oil from you know, whatever reason, the the Saudis, uh, you know, raising or reducing the supply, which I know has kind of been a consistent theme that uh, Ed and yourself, Craig, have mentioned throughout the podcast. Like that's been a factor. And if that starts to make its way into headline CPI, it's possible that trickles down into core as every business and every product somewhere along the line relies on energy to get those products to consumers. So, a lot of factors at play here. You've also got oil trading at fresh lows again for the last several months. Um, you know, this is uh, quite the time. The dollar strength is very, very hot. And it does seem like now the market is kind of 
taking the Fed seriously, right? They've been saying for quite some time, we're going to keep uh, rates higher for longer and don't expect rate cuts. And stock market shrugged it off and ignored it for quite some time. And now uh, it seems like maybe they they are starting to start to believe some of the things that uh, Jerome Powell has had to say. Now, you mentioned there the government shutdown stuff. If uh, a government shutdown were to uh, to happen, Craig, what would you even say? Well, like, what's the play card? Like, what's the, the game plan uh, for traders, investors to pay attention to in that sort of environment? Because I know that in the past, government shutdowns have been kind of a consistent theme. They come up every every few years, it feels like. And uh, usually the market shrugs it off. But what do you think about kind of this time around? Is there something special that could be more threatening to markets? Yeah, there's certainly a numbing effect. I mean, I, I remember not too long ago, but it obviously will be quite a little while ago, when we first started to see these government shutdowns on a regular basis, there was a lot of fear about what it could do, what what kind of impact we'll have on the economy, what will it do to risk risk appetite. And then we found out very little. It, nothing really happened. And with every shutdown or with the risk of every shutdown, there has been a, been a numbing inf- impact on the market. So I don't really think we will see a massive impact on the markets from the shutdown itself. But while not all economic data, uh, if I'm not mistaken, will stop being released, there is certain economic releases that rely on US government departments that I imagine we will not see. Things like the jobs report, obviously that's released by what the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So uh, the, there are going to be piece of data which we are going to have to go without in, in, in the short term and it'll last as long as the, the, the shutdown lasts. That's where it could have an impact on the markets for me. It's not the direct economic consequences of the shutdown itself, but the fact that it will deprive us of key economic figures at a time when they really, really matter. And I think that's going to be the major factor. And for every week that the US government is shut down, I actually think the odds of a Fed pause the next meeting increase because how can the Fed make a decision to raise interest rates again when they don't have any um, reliable, fresh economic figures, especially the ones they pay most attention to? They'll have their own models, they'll be collecting their own data, etc. But it's a really hard decision to say we're going to raise interest rates, even though we haven't got that much extra data to hand than we had previously. That's where the market implications could actually come in more so in the, what what's the impact of a lack of data going to have. Um, so I think that'll be a really interesting factor when it comes to that government shutdown, which now at this point in time, um, I mean, from over here in the UK, at least it looks this way. It looks as though government shutdown is unavoidable and that's, it's going to last at least a week, but probably longer. What's your take? Obviously, you're very much closer to the action on this one. Well, the thing about government shutdowns, uh, like you mentioned, usually uh, there's not sort of this uh, sustained uh, you know, market-crushing reaction to it. Usually it is kind of, as you mentioned, kind of a, a passerby and numbing effect. Uh, but what I do think that is interesting, as you mentioned, it is a crucial time in terms of market data. Uh, we've just kind of ramped things back up from the Fed's hawkish tone. So uh, you know, this week alone, we have GDP numbers on the horizon. We have uh, core PCE uh, coming out on Friday. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, figures that are yet to come. And then, of course, Fed meetings in the future. It's like you mentioned that that's such a I hadn't even really thought about it that way. If they don't have data, which is how they, of course, they've claimed a million times that they're data dependent and they're uh, reacting to the data, you know, each time, um, it could be a really interesting reaction. And what I liked what you said there is, I didn't even think about it, but 
if there is like a lack of data and that forces the Fed to kind of be like, hey, you know what, we need to uh, wait for that sort of situation to be resolved. It's kind of interesting to think that that could actually cause a stock market rally. Uh, you know, one thing I find interesting, Craig, and this the audience might, um, you know, maybe disagree with me or agree with me. Sometimes the stock market seems to do something totally ridiculous or whack or uh, totally not what people would expect. But sometimes when you dig deep into it, it's actually the thing that the market would would actually do. Like, it's weird how that works. Sometimes data will come out. People will be like, oh, that makes no sense, that move. But if you really dig into it, it's like, actually, it does kind of make sense, right? Um, we've talked about that in the in, in the past. You know, inflation figures can be confusing to new investors. Uh, you know, why is a, a cooling inflation, you know, bullish for the stock market and so on and so forth. So I can't say that I have a ton of experience trading these sorts of events because as you know, nobody really does, every event is unique in a way. Um, my biggest thing would be, you know, I, I my first reaction would be cautious uh, to an event like this, yet the stock market rallying, I hadn't even really thought about that as a, as a possible scenario. So I guess we'll see. I can't say I have a strong game plan laid out in front of me, but uh, in terms of how market moving it will be, it really certainly with with a Fed that is kind of in such a tight position could actually cause some serious volatility from exactly what you're saying. The lack of data, the lack of the ability to make decisions uh, for the Fed could actually be incredibly market moving. So uh, the last thing I want to leave Craig with on this is I mentioned GDP numbers, core PC coming out on Friday. Um, that's kind of US figures. So with all this data coming out, Craig, what's kind of top on your priority to to pay attention to the remainder this week? I mean, if we're parking the the U.S. stuff, because obviously you've got the PCE inflation on Friday as well from the U.S., the only other thing that really stands out for me is going to be the Eurozone inflation data. So that's flash figures. That's released Friday morning, UK time, uh, the HICP uh, inflation report. And I think that's going to be huge because, as as you alluded to earlier, the US dollars performed really well and it's performed really well partly from a risk aversion standpoint I think I agree with that uh, but the other thing as well is we, the Fed seems to have gone in a slightly different direction to others the Fed's gone for the hawkish hold the ECB went for the dovish hike the Bank of England arguably went for the dovish hold the SNB kind of attempted a hawkish hike and hawkish hold and no one really bought it and so on and so forth. So the Fed's kind of gone in a slightly more hawkish direction than the rest, which is another reason why the dollars continue to perform so well. The ECB is now going to be judged on its kind of dovish hike based on what the data now says. So the, this inflation data on Friday is going to be massive ahead of that next meeting. I think no one is really, or very few people are going to be expecting a rate hike at the next meeting. But all it takes is a higher than expected inflation reading and maybe not an interest rate hike doesn't come back onto the agenda. But what does that do to the tone of the language that the ECB decides to put across? What does that do to the vote in terms of how collective is the view that no more rate hikes are likely to be necessary? So the data is still incredibly important. And that inflation number on, Monday, on Friday morning is going to be really crucial uh, in terms of... Um, potentially determining the kind of the balance of power on the ECB and therefore the tone of the language um, at the next meeting. So I think that's the only other one that stands out because as I say, it's a very light data week and the releases that we do have are mostly tier two, tier three data that when you're trying to build a picture, you pay a lot of attention to, but they're not necessarily going to be massive market moving events on their own. The only other thing I would highlight, uh, which I think is really interesting, is gold. Um, just to relate back to your dollar 
uh, comments earlier on. The dollar's up, or just almost zero point four percent today. But the but gold is down more than one percent today alone. Uh, it's broken below nineteen hundred dollars again. It's broken some big technical levels along the way, uh, and I think that is another one to watch. So like you say, given that we've not had too much on this week. We have had a resumption of the oil rally. We've had stock markets taking a bit of a nosedive. And now we've had gold breaking below $1,900 for the first time. Uh, uh, trading below now the August lows. Uh, so it's now trading at the lowest levels since March of this year. So despite the, the lack of action in terms of headline releases and events, these markets are lively. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, gold fresh lows and oil back to the highs. Very, very telling. I mean, it seems like a lot of the moves here are, you know, in the commodities world, of course, also with the dollar index doing what it's doing. Um, it's a really interesting week to, to see so little data. But, you know, the last thing I will say, Craig, about that, what you mentioned about central banks for currency traders out there, um, you know, that development, very, very interesting to get central banks kind of really diverging in their game plans. I mentioned this a couple times on the podcast in the past, but those scenarios are where currency traders come alive. Because when you have divergences in central banks and they start going in solidly different directions, the trends usually reflect that. And being able to capture some of that momentum can can be great for trend traders, especially if you're uh, a range bound trader. If you're trading, you know, um, you know, uh, central bank stuff, it could be a little tricky uh, when they're diverging so hard. Because again, the trends can be consistently strong in one direction for a sustained period of time, but trend followers uh, absolutely will love it. So uh, we'll be very interesting to come back and, and talk more about the, you know, the divergences in the ECB and uh, the SNB and, and Bank of England. And then you've got the Fed, which again, stubbornly hawkish. So uh, we'll be very interesting to continue covering that. We'll be back on Friday uh, to react to some of the core PCE numbers and GDP figures. Uh, so it should be a very interesting remainder of the second half of this week. Things uh, I would say they're likely to heat up, but they have already started out very hot this week. So we'll be back on Friday. Craig, thank you very much for your, your commentary. And uh, it was good doing the podcast with you today. Always a pleasure. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.